Calendula officinalis is better known as the pot marigold, the common marigold, ruddles, or scotch marigold, and is native to southern Europe, though it has grown wild as far north as southern England and even spread to other warm, temperate regions. This perennial flower isn't just pretty looking, though. It's also edible and can be used in salads or as a garnish. And in Germany, they call this flower Dyringelblum! Which is how we refer to it right here in the Doob Room. I'm what? Alex, and I'm doomed. A flawless German accent from Alex. Uh, um. For whom does the bell toll? It tolls for you. <laughs> boom, boom, you're in the Doom Room. I'm Justin, and I'm doomed. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Doom Patrol Season 3, Episode 5, Dada Patrol. Dada! Dada! Patrol, aka the last episode that I have watched of this show. So past yes. the point, wow. I was very excited when I got to the end here, and I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." I never watched past this, so starting next episode, I'm fresh and clear, and all my theories are as crazy as both of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, on an even playing field. Um, no, and I do, actually, before we even get into all of that, what oh, is you your... want to talk about the DC flip? Go ahead. No, 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 no. Yeah! Let's back up the truck. Hashtag back up the truck. Check the the merch store. Bring back the flip. Check the merch store for back up the truck uh, shirts. Um, (laughs) What are you? What research are you doing for your rhyme of your room rhyme at the beginning of this podcast? This is just this is just knowledge that I have off the top of my head. I'm (laughs) not doing any research. What research are you doing for your doom rhyme? I think the proof is in my pudding that I'm doing little to none. Uh, but you, uh, the, the starting point always catches me off guard and I love it. <laughs> well, let's start here with a recap of this episode. If it's been a while since you watched it, kicking off of the end of the last episode where everybody was zombies and ate Niles's head. They're now dealing with the ramifications of that. And more specifically, Laura DeMille, who is Michelle Gomez's character, has discovered that she has a connection to the sisterhood of Dada and over the course of this episode takes the team, sends them out to find more information, more information on what she doesn't exactly know because she doesn't remember her past. Meanwhile, back at Doom Manor, Rita and Laura are bonding over many, many drinks, rebuild the time machine, and by the end of the episode, travel back in time. Uh, And uh, while that's happening, everybody is tangling with the sisterhood of Dada who broke out of the ant farm. We meet a couple of their members. They're predictably weird, and they throw our whole team for a loop. So lots of stuff going on here. After a, I don't know if you could say anything in this episode was predictable. Did I say predictable? You said predictably weird, which doesn't make any sense, but also, like, you couldn't have called any of the shit that happened in this step. Oh, and then they'll walk across and find a lady who speaks Japanese in a glass box for no I reason. I feel like I could predict a lady who speaks Japanese. In a glass uh, box? There's, there's Guys, a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Let me open the envelope where I wrote down my predictions for this episode <laughs> and sealed it last night and a half bicycle man carving a mask in the woods. I think I called it once again. Oh, well Nailed done. it. Well done. Uh, great work. Uh, yeah, uh, the all wind I'm saying turbines. is that what we can predict about the show is that whatever mission the Doom Patrol is sent on is going to go horribly wrong. They're going to be pushed into uncomfortable directions psychologically, and that's exactly what happens in this episode. After a Goofs a Million episode in 
last week, whatever you want to call it. Uh, here, zombie, I yep. think. We have the zombie uh, Undead butts. This undead, undead gets a little butt. more serious. Like, there's still some funny stuff, but this is much more digging down into the characters in a very specific way than last week was. And I like that. I like that they keep jumping back and forth between these two modes. And I think you, uh, in combination with deepening into the characters, they heightened sort of the oddness of everything and sort of the open-ended questions, um, which I really appreciate. Um, and also... Cliff, for instance, but the character's making mistakes. Like, Cliff is taking too many pills. Too many pills. Don't take all the pills, kids. He ordered them off the the internet, too. So either Uh, they're fake, which could be, or they're all too real. I I think uh, Zelvin's just a chemical romance head. So when this uh, episode started, he was in this happy place. Absolutely. I called out the Black Parade and went wild. That's nice the only MCR song. I know. I'm sorry. Nice. Great. Uh, but yeah, that was good. I like the montage at the beginning to the MCR song as Niles's head burned. Now, Pete, are you feeling like last episode you were feeling like Niles is coming back? I feel like they're done with Niles at this point. Yeah, once you saw that bird pecking at his, uh, you know, uh, a scarecrow-esque uh, body. Effigy. As, it's called an effigy. Uh, effigy. Uh, as a as guy sitting there charred. And his head falls to the ground. It was nice to moment to be like, Charles, this is all done. Niles is done. You know, kiss it all goodbye. So it was nice. If you need help remembering, it's just like EFG in the alphabet. Wait, what? what? Effigy. Oh, EFG. oh, wow. I thought that was an MCR reference, and I was like, MCR, EFG, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're dropping the shortened version of the name. Um, I think that could be because I in this episode we have uh, Laura DeMille taking the Niles role as first ca- calling a team meeting. Call a team meeting, which Rita was like, you can't, you can't call a team meeting. You know, you just showed up here. I'm Rita's right, you know. Well, and great reference here for any fans of Michelle Gomez right at the top of the meeting. Jane says, hey, Doctor Who, because, yeah. of course, as you guys know very well, as mm-hmm. the resident Whovians on the podcast, Michelle Gomez played the character of Missy, the evil Time Lord, in multiple seasons and was very great there. So fun little Easter egg for the fans. And there's yeah. another one um, in this uh, when Jane says to um, Cliff, that's Karma Dick Slit. That's yeah. because Brendan Fraser famously play, played the Dick Slit in um, the uh, Pam and Tommy uh, show in, um, that's coming out right now. Wait, did he? He no, did the voice. Jason oh, yeah. 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 I was just going to say, that's what you really. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, all Easter eggs have to be real. Because Brendan Fraser has a dick slit. So there you oh, go. Oh, my God. Another Easter egg. That's what I call Easter my egg. Dick. Easter egg. Easter, Easter egg. egg. Hey, you guys want to see an Easter yeah, egg? Yeah, Jane had a lot of great lines, uh, a lot of uh, quips in this episode. Uh, you know, calling the uh, therapist a cranky old bitch. Uh, there was a lot of real uh, <laughs> classic, fun, clever insult. Clever, that's not clever quip. quips. You know what I mean? That's not a quip. Uh, that's an insult. I think. <laughs> and honestly, Pete, I think you need to learn the difference between those two terms. Do I though? You do. Uh, Narcbot two thousand. That's the one that I wanted to get. Uh, yeah, that was a really good one, too. Well, why don't we talk through the characters here? Because even though they are all heading off on a similar mission, again, we have everybody kind of split off into their own separate things. So we started with Cliff. His whole arc here is that he is worried. He still hasn't got diagnosed, but he's worried that maybe he's dealing with Parkinson's. 
So he orders pills off the internet, takes all of them, gets high, and wanders through the woods until he meets this Japanese woman, or at least woman speaking Japanese in a box, gets attacked there, and by and the end of the episode... he speaks Japanese. Yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, he briefly speaks Japanese. By the this end of the episode, he is back taking more pills and clicking on pop-ups on the internet. Worst thing you could do We've is ODing on pills and clicking on pop-ups. I mean... This guy, I mean, as soon as, like, I was very happy because in the beginning, Vic was helping him with his pills, but then he got turned on by his father. Uh, that's a weird thing to what? say. His, what? his, his <laughs> He got sexually aroused by his father. There you go. Is that better, Pete? Is that what you were going that's for? That's what you meant, right, Pete? <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to help you here. It's like it's, you're uh, speaking Japanese this episode. Oh, a crazy God. thing for a person to do. Uh, red light. It's not a crazy thing if. That's the language. That's what you said. That's what you said. No, at the top I of the meant episode. if you were walking <laughs> around and then uh, uh, walked into somebody who, I mean, that's, you know. Yes. Anyways. No, I know what you're saying. I, I feel like we're slightly trapping you in your own Dada woods right now. Your own glass exactly. cage of emotions. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a glass cage of emotions. Uh, great line. Anyways, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what we were talking about. Oh yeah, Doom Patrol season three light, episode. The five. light came on, and uh, Cyberg, uh, you know, he got the red light back, and he said "booyah," so it was fun. I mean, that was seems a little all over the place, but yes, that was fun. Um, back on Cliff, I was surprised that he was eating red goo. Yeah, what was that? What was, was going on with that? That's because clearly Cyborg sets it up. brain is floating in. Is in oh, that. okay. It's his brain goop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? I guess his brain isn't eating much. <laughs> yeah, light on it. And it says take with food, the pills. But I just thought it was, it goes right into his neck. And it did look like tomato sauce, prego or ragu. Mm. Uh, one of the two. Uh, I'd say ragu. Ragu is a little thicker. Prego is a little wattier. Yeah. yeah. How dare you? Oh, do you prefer, are, are you, you a prego man? Uh, no, no, I don't know what the difference is. Really, okay. So. Speaking of Prego, Larry Trainer is Prego. No, we're not going to oh. delve into Let's talk about Cliff because there's a lot more to delve into here. Oh. So what do you, I, first of all, I loved the confession he makes to the woman where he talks about for the first time in a really long time, he's actually scared of dying because he has something to live for. Mm-hmm. That moment really snuck up on me in a very nice and emotional way. And I think that gets to the heart of what he's dealing with and what he's wrestling with. But overall, why? what do you think was going on with the woman in the glass cage? What did that mean? How did that tie into Cliff's overall arc? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. I think it, it, t- jumping back to just the sisterhood of the Dada in general, like what it, it are these woods? It felt like um, the one, the the witch the that Jane was talking to, or it's not witches, I guess sort of a bit of a stretch. Oh, Wasn't she the lady too. from no, the uh, film? This is very into the woods, uh, yes. I felt oh. like. Um, Wait, wasn't, am I crazy? And I might be, but wasn't she the other person in the film with the, uh, the bird Shelley? there? Yeah. Shelley, yeah. The, the fog. The fog. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe she was. It's kind of hard to tell with that film, but you might be right. Okay. Great theory, Pete. Uh, we'll see going forward. But it was hard to tell if the fog is, she sort of says to Jane, the fog is my brain. You're inside my brain now. Mm-hmm. And she's able to interact with Kay. So that makes me think all of them are sort of inside the different Doom Patrol members' psyches. And so for Cliff, um, 
it feels like the glass cage there is maybe representing his fear and his fear mm-hmm. has been sort of bottled up for a long time and is now uh, jumping out because the woman in the the glass box is terrified the entire time and uh, speaks a different language from him, but then he's suddenly speaking that language. So maybe it is like he's bottled up his fear for so long, suddenly he's addressing it, and then he's suddenly speaking Japanese, and then it shatters out. I love that theory. I also think it's interesting that this woman in the glass cage, at least the way it's presented, maybe is not part of the sisterhood of Dada. Like she seems to have some powers, obviously, but she seems to be imprisoned by the ice cream lady. Yeah, because it went... There was a wormhole in the ice cream truck. That's how Cliff got to uh, the lady in the cage there. So it seemed like a little separate uh, from from the fog in general. Yeah, potentially. Uh, why don't we move on maybe and talk about Jane since we've touched on her. This, as much as I liked how this story one was played, and for those who don't remember... The idea here is that Jane is getting a lot of pushback from the folks in the underground. She is uh, kind of trying to figure out who she is and what her place is, as usual. But Kay also wants to grow up and leave, which I thought was a really interesting move, or at least take over the body for a little bit as she gets older, as the actress herself physically gets older, uh, which is a smart thing to play off of. But by the end of the episode... Jane is locked out of the underground and access to Kay, which to me felt like a huge step backwards from where we were. Did well, it strike that was you guys confusing the same way? Because it wasn't like she woke up and she was in her station or woke up and was like stuck in the underground. She just woke up from her nap and then made the mistake we all do, reaching into a pocket and then thinking it's okay to eat pocket candy that's unwrapped that's been in your pocket for too long, you know? Would you say that happens to you a lot? Yeah, I mean, the pull of the pocket candy is powerful. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, but if you see the lint on there, you got to set it down and, and realize it's a lost cause. Do you think, is there ever any sort of uh, infused, uh, infusement or anything um, in in your candy that you find in your pocket? Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Any sort about. of like uh, THC or anything that might have made its way into the candy in your pocket. <laughs> no, no, you got to keep that separate. You know what I mean? You don't want to miss uh, business with pleasure. You know what I mean? The business uh, of candy? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the loose candy in your Didn't pocket? Didn't realize you were being paid for that, but all right. How's the 401k? Delicious. Spelled C for candy, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the K stands for candy. Yeah, 401 candies. Is what uh, I do like this plot line, though, with Jade. I do think it's really smart and interesting, and all the stuff with K is interesting. Um, but... But yeah, it's it's a little frustrating after we spent an entire season with Jane on the outside because of a Miranda to then be back on the outside. So my hope is that this is a temporary thing, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it was my- weird because she really did felt, uh, you know, she saw Hammerhead and they had different ideas than she did about what's going on. But it's weird because they seem to all think Kay's the most important thing, and Jane's listening to Kay and doing what Kay wants to do, but everybody else is not cool with it. So it's kind of this weird divide. I think what it, what's happening here is with Kay, sort of, it's Kay's body, and they're all splinter personalities within it. Right, right. And all the other people in the underground are like, hey, 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 we can't let Kay up top because then what are we? Then it, they may vanish or they may like just become one 
mind again, losing their identity. So I think Jane doesn't care about that because she cares about Kay the most. But I think what she is tempted here uh, by Shelley Byron is that maybe she has a larger purpose outside of Kay because Shelley Byron separates Kay and all the other personalities. Like, look, I want you. And I think maybe this peppermint um, would have will have that power to separate her because I don't. All think right, we got go we got to talk about this then. Let's say you reach into your pocket, you find a peppermint that yeah. some creepy person gave you in a candy shop that clearly has a lot of lint on it. Mm. Why would you put that in your mouth, or would you ever put that in your mouth? Well, she was tempted by this this woman. She the whole all the scenes with her were like, hey. You're better than this. You had more to do out there. Like, yeah, I but you're like dodging the question. The question is, would me personally, if it yeah. was a salt and vinegar chip with some slight fuzzies on it, oh, that's going in the mouth. <laughs> oh man, are you serious? <laughs> a loose, you know. I feel like you're ignoring family... the bigger question here, though, Pete. Which I felt like you would hook into immediately. Is this very specifically ties into the line from Shelley where she says, "Don't you think you deserve a little something sweet?" To Jane and Jane, that's when she starts to feel very tempted by Shelley. Then she gets the peppermint. I wouldn't call peppermints sweet. They're minty. Like, I know technically they are, like, they're made of sugar, whatever, but it's not a sweet flavor I'm getting there. It's a a frosty refreshness. Oh my God. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, Now we're digging deep. Yeah, this is a weird nature. Yeah. No, candy is sweet uh, by nature. What about salty candy? Oh my god! Got you there. Salt water taffy. It's still candy. Chocolate pretzels, sweet. I'd Um, say salty. What about a handful of salt? Chocolate in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about rock candy? By which I mean salt. (laughs) It's still (laughs) original rock candy. What about a a cup of ocean water? Uh, That is salty. Nice. Uh, but what I was trying to say is that I think, um, I don't think they're going to go back and do another like w- underground war where it's a battle. That was like at all of last season was that for Jane. So I think this season, I, th- I think what she took that peppermint, I think she's going to be separated out from the underground and be on her own as a separate person. I think that would be great and a really interesting big move for them to do, which is something that. Who knows how many seasons the show is going to go, but it does feel like the show that despite everybody being in emotional stasis for so long, they really can make big moves and go to big places going forward. Um, So, yeah, if they want to make Jane a separate person, I'm into that. I think that would be exciting and throw her for a loop. I I do agree with that. But what's funny is, you know, they kind of had this moment where LT is like. How do we keep finding ourselves in these ridiculous things? And then Jane kind of goes through this kind of like laundry list of explanations that was factual and also hilarious. Like uh, they're not growing out of these kind of tropes. They're staying in them and they keep having to keep doing these ridiculous adventures. And I thought it was a fun kind of moment in the show and also for the characters to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, maybe there is some change coming. If Jane breaks off from the rest of the uh, K personalities, will she have any powers? Will she choose some of the other personalities to come with her, whoever wants to come, and be able to call on those when they're in a fight? Because if she leaves and is only Jane without any uh, power set, she's joining Larry as someone who doesn't have any power and has to watch the bus. Yeah, but Larry's power is growing. 
uh, it's going to... He's in his second trimester. Yeah, exactly. He's going to get his uh, power back. Starting to get some kicks. Yeah. What's the... Real quick, what's the most powerful zit you've ever gotten? Um, I had one um, that uh, when it finally opened, it was like... Problematic amount of insides came out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my boy. Yeah, I had one of those too. You, Pete? Yeah, I, that, uh, they've taken over my whole face before, and it's uh, it was a battle that I barely won. Oh, thanks man. for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. What would it look like if you lost? <laughs> We'd be doing this podcast with a big zit? Yep, exactly. <laughs> the zit won. Larry, to me, the most surprising thing that happened in his storyline wasn't necessarily him being pregnant with whatever that was on his body, but the fact that his son Paul came back, which I thought was part of this whole nightmare that Shelley was creating. But as it turns out, Paul is actually there and he's left over at the end of the episode and was a prisoner seemingly of the ant farm the same way he was. So... That's another exciting, really big move that I didn't necessarily see coming. Definitely didn't see it coming, but I think it proved that whatever happens in the woods does have real-world consequences. Like, Paul seems Just to like real. in real life, yeah. Exactly. Whatever happens in the woods has real-world consequences. Yeah. Unlike Vegas, stuff happens in the woods, it comes home with you. Uh, like when you, if you rode a deer or um, found a lobster gun. Right, or you found a big, delicious pile of candy in the woods, by which I'm talking about leaves. Yeah. Pete, what's, Pete uh, we were just clothes. talking about this. We gave these really uh, searing confessions. Um, I know you had to walk away for a second, but uh, what's, uh, what's the most traumatizing thing you've ever done in the woods? Uh, Justin and I already said ours, we so already we just go ahead. <laughs> so just do yours, and then we can get back to the episode. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to... Uh... <laughs> You're going to the woods this weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'm, just, I'm still new into therapy, so we're kind of working through all that. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not quite there yet. But, just give uh, us a couple buzzwords, maybe. Like, yeah, I pre- uh, appreciate you. Uh, there. Are you doing I mean, therapy right here in the Doom Room? Yeah, 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 definitely. No, um, uh, yeah, I've done, you know, I had a uh, woods kind of uh, behind my house, so there's a lot of crazy shenanigans that I got into in the woods mm. that I okay. don't, uh, yeah. Okay. Any of those shenanigans uh, result in a trial or? Uh, no, no, oh. I mean, knock on wood, nothing yet, <laughs> okay. but uh, yeah, yeah. But is that um, why whenever squirrels see you, they attack? Because I've been with you a couple times, and the squirrels are absolutely revolt. They're wound up when they see you. Oh, man. So, yeah, the Larry storyline is very intriguing, and there's a lot of stuff set up there. But the one that goes the hardest, I thought, was Cyborg's storyline in a way that I was not expecting. We meet this bicycle man who uh, I believe is named Lloyd, a.k.a. Frenzy. They talked a little bit about it in the after the episode thing. Um, but Bicycle Man just goes for Cyborg. Like, uh, we spend... I mean- Oh, go ahead, Pete. Yeah, that whole who are you thing really kind of gets to the core why of Cyborg's why are you kind of whole deal. Uh, I did want to quickly say, though, that like the Larry losing it at the car where he's kind of like working on the engine of the car and is talking to himself was really hilarious and a real kind of fun small moment bef- before his uh, son showed up. But yeah, I was impressed with the 
And I was worried about the mask that maybe Vic would hold on to that, but uh, he threw it against the wall in anger. And I think that's a good choice. Uh, maybe not the healthiest move, but uh, I think it's, uh, you know, he's getting there, you know, uh, past the rage. Maybe he can kind of find some uh, peace with who he is and what he is. But he's got a lot to talk to his dad about. He's still got to figure out if the accident was you know, like his dad did the right thing or did was his dad kind of pushing his own agenda on him. So there's a lot to kind of unpack when it comes to Cyborg. And I think that's why when he asked a simple question of who are you, you know, he has a hard time and lashes out at the guy. And then the guy, you know, gives it right back to Cyborg and he has a hard time with it. Well, I think what I really liked about this whole sequence, um, the Cyborg storyline is, first off, you get Silas early on being weird again. He turns Grid back on, being weird about stuff and keeping secrets after we had seen him sort of be pretty open with his son. So that's something. But then the the question of who are you, he can answer. It Why are you, he can. And I think that goes to his issues with his identity. He has this moral code, but he doesn't know why he follows it. He just does because he wants to be a superhero. But it's been challenged by Ronnie and now the revelation that his dad has could have put in synthetic skin so he looked more like um like a like an everyday guy and that's clearly bothering him and he's frustrated by the way that he looks and that's why he smashes the mask because it feels like um a frenzy saw him for what he was and he didn't have the answers well and, and one thing i know pete you just raised your hand but i wanted to throw out there about the mask before we move on is i love the phrase in there which is it could be read in two ways, depending on how you emphasize it. It's either approximate man, meaning almost a man, or approximate man, meaning pretending to be a man. So either yeah. way, those are the things that Cyborg is wrestling right now with right now and the things that he is most scared about. And that gets right to the heart of it. So I thought that was just like such a simple, smart thing to throw in there. Just wildly clever. Uh, what were you going to say, Pete? But yeah, I mean, those are two, I mean, could both you guys answer who you are and why you are? I mean, that's tough. Um, yeah, yeah, I could do it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> All right. Yeah, big time. Go ahead. Yeah. Who am I? Justin mm -hmm. Tyler, podcaster. Uh, why am I? Uh, I'm here to... Oh, uh, you're more than just a podcaster. Don't start... You're, you're a line producer. I'm not okay. that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a character actor. A, I'll uh, take it. A comedian, writer. And uh, Pete, you're a guy who loves eating big handfuls of salt in the woods, right? Yep. Oh, man. It's salt hard. Candy. When you come across there's a good pile in the of woods, salt in, in the, the woods, woods there's <laughs> delicioso. Multiple and why delicious. am I? I'm here to lightly antagonize Pete two to three times. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we talk about Rita and Laura? Because this is such a delightful relationship throughout the episode. Obviously, they're both needling at each other a little bit the entire time. This is time, driving me nuts. Why is it driving you nuts, Pete? Because I, we don't know. It seems like, uh, you know... DeMille is a horrible person and everybody in the fog reacts that way. Like as soon as the name is said, they all kind of like um, hear it at the same time, which is kind of this hive mentality, which is interesting. Um, and the, it kicks them out right out. So also Niles, who we know is somebody who doesn't judge easily um, you know, has a ton of gray area, was very specific about how bad, De 
she was. So Rita having fun with her and her being like, I don't know, I could have been a bad person was driving me nuts. I was kind of like, Rita, she's clearly a bad person but here. But you, you hate Niles and don't trust Niles. So why would you trust a letter of anti-recommendation from Niles? Why would that be something that you would immediately take as law? Well, because he took all these people and kind of brought them in and was talking about their positives and how they're kind of like, sure, he did all that and he is a horrible person. And I think, you know, that recognizes her a little bit, but to be so like, there's no, in the descriptions, there was no other possibility for her. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, Hey, Maybe I'm wrong on this. He was just like, no, she is really bad. Is super clear. So, but I, so I still Niles. think it's very funny that you're like Team Niles now. That's sort I'm of not. Te- how, whoa, whoa, no, Team Niles is dead. Is what I am. Your Team Niles is um, correspondence from the past. You right. love no. the letter. You hate Niles, except for the fact that now he's dead. Maybe he had some good points, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> now that he's dead, maybe there's some good points. Yeah, you love yeah. His written work. I, I do think, and I talked about this a little bit the last episode, but what that gets to is not the fact that she's good or bad, but that she doesn't have her memory, so she could be anything going forward. All of these people were not great people before they came to do Manor. Larry, Cliff, Rita, Jane, all of them, and they are slowly figuring out who they are now, and that's exactly what she's doing as well. Maybe when she regains her memory, she will turn into an absolute villain. Um, That's entirely possible, but right now, she's not, and I think it's okay for Rita to trust her um, and even spar with her a little bit, because that's not who she is. Well, I was upset that Rita was like, oh, I here's the thing to fix your time machine, but I was very happy that Rita was like, fuck all this. Uh, you don't think I can do this. I'm going to get drunk and time travel, which is, you know, it's part of it's life. It's a choice. It's best, a choice, man. Best way to do it. I still think, and this is, I'm way in on my theories here, but I still think that Rita and Laura are sort of one and the same in some capacity. And maybe um, the fog uh, was in that video and was dancing all alongside um, Laura in that movie. Uh, that we flash back, that we may be flashing back to. But what's weird is Rita didn't lose her memory. So when she sees this film, like, where is it in time and why doesn't Rita know? uh, Laura lost her memory. Mm -hmm. If Rita is a younger version of Laura, then Rita wouldn't remember being Laura because it's in her future. And Laura wouldn't remember Rita because she lost her memory. So I think that's a potential way for it to go. I mean, you see them, the dance thing feels like a way of coming into alignment. It feels like the power sets that they have is about like being in control, being aligned with your powers. And in this episode, that last scene where they're dancing and repairing the thing, they're dressed the same. They're sort Mm -hmm. of becoming similar. And then Rita jumps in and goes away. So I know I'm really doubling down on this theory, so I'll probably be proved wrong, but I'm throwing it out there. Yeah. Hey, I like it. I think it all makes sense if it does work out. I still think they're two separate people, but I like the idea that they might be the same. And certainly it seems like based on the promo that we're going to find out more next episode. Before we start well, to wrap up here. Things real oh, quick. Yeah. Laura also like the fact that the sisterhood of the Dada, they Cliff, uh, like always, says the wrong thing. And immediately all of the sisterhood wakes up and is like, that's our enemy. So whoever, whatever was happening with them, it feels like Laura was a member of the sisterhood and maybe got out. Mm. Um, They seem very uh, mad about her. 
Well, and to your point, Rita is not there as well. So there isn't a moment where Rita would be there and they'd be like, Rita, a different person than Laura DeMille. So if you are correct, that does seem in retrospect a very strategic way of keeping that information out of the viewer's hands. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Moments from the episode that you want to call out, I'll mention... I loved Cliff thinking that LMFAO stands for Love My Fucking Awesome Offspring. Very yep. funny. Great stuff. Uh, also, this is a more emotional moment. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but Silas finally saying I'm sorry to Cyborg was very sweet and sad, and I appreciated yeah. that quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, any other moments you guys want to call out? I love the moment when LT is like, if you turn out to be a rat, uh, yeah, great, yeah. Uh, call out to Cliff's um, interskull rat situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, love the lobster gun. That's how I get all my lobsters to shoot mm-hmm. them right into the pot. Um, the uh, and it made, it made this episode have that sort of combination of Twin Peaks and Into the Woods, which um, I'm always well, here for. I mean. You know, I don't know how up you are on new gun stuff, but that is, you know, they're making guns now where if you run out of bullets, that's how you know it's the last bullet because the lobster comes out. So that way you're Mm. like, oh, now I'm out of bullets. That's the plot of the movie, The Lobster with Colin Farrell, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. What's that smell? Before the penguin. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's going to be coming out, so I'm excited. Dude loves to play animals with the before them. I love the line when Larry is feeling around his lump and goes, oh, if you turn out to be a rat, Calling, calling back to the time there was a rat in Cliff's head. No, I know, but Justin literally just said that. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you not listen when we're so, we're talking? I don't. To you? I don't really Holy listen to this shit. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's especially crazy because I just said it like yeah, truly no, that was one second ago, right before I said lobster gun. That's those are the exact words. I got so I distracted by lobster gun. The, I, <laughs> I even said the callback thing. Yeah, okay. I know. That was so right. weird. Are I'm we the so same sorry. person? Are yeah. we Rita and Laura? I'm sorry. All right, fine. A different moment then. I love the part when Larry <laughs> says, if you turn out to be a rat. Yeah, honestly, when you said that, it broke my brain for a second. I was like, wait, did I say it? Because I, I, there was a moment there... where Larry was like, hey, I'm really going bananas over here. And I was kind of like, is... Are they? Are they? And honestly, this is this is embarrassing to admit, but I literally looked to Pete to be like, Pete, I need you to settle this. Did I say that or did Alex? When you're looking to me, I know. I know. I'm worried. I'm worried. We have become. We've been in the doom room for too long. We are we're fully doomed. Well, listen, man. We are halfway through our way out of the doom room, at least for the season. I guess we'll see what happens. Before we wrap up here, who is most doomed this episode? Justin, who is most doomed this episode? Like I said, I think it's us as a group uh, are definitely (laughs) the most doomed based on that last interaction. But I will also say that I think, I mean, the stock has fallen for basically everyone. I think everyone's pretty doomed in this show, but um, I'm going to throw it to the character I have the most stress for is Cliff. Between the Parkinson's oh, yeah. thing and the overpillage he's doing. You can't overpill. You shouldn't overpill you out there. You can overpill. You right? shouldn't. That's what you said, right? You shouldn't. That's right. Yeah. Like you, like when you're like, 
at six o'clock when you're feeding your kitten pee, like you <laughs> should feed her as many snacks as she wants. But no, that's not. That's not. This how is it works. very awful. We're talking about yeah. in this podcast. I'm going to throw it out to Laura. Actually, I think is most doomed this episode because she's eventually going to get her memory back. She's going to find some stuff out, and whatever direction it goes in. I just think it's going to be a bad revelation for her about who her true self is, and that's something she's going to have to grapple with going forward, potentially. Pete, what about you? I'm worried about Rita, because the look she gave the camera before she kind of, uh, the time machine was going to take her away was a scared one, and uh, I'm a little worried about where Rita's going and what she's going to find when she gets there. Um and uh, I, I really like Rita, so I would uh, I would hate to, uh, for something bad to happen to her. But I'm I'm worried that uh, kind of last shot of of her uh, hurt my heart. Also, I just want to say that the candy store lady was so scary when she was given that monologue and talked about being a dragon and eating whole towns. Like, how do you sit there? I would run for my fucking life. If someone started monologuing and started to how they were a dragon when eat a whole towns, you couldn't keep me in that chair. I find it hard to believe you would ever leave a candy shop full of free candy, but That's right. I don't care <laughs> what anybody's King. saying. They're gonna you're gonna be stick around you're gonna maybe stand by the door, but you're gonna still have your hand in the candy. <laughs> if I know you Pete. Oh, that till no matter what Tilda Switten runner up is there saying weird shit, I hear you. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube coming out. We would love to chat with you about Doom Patrol, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. And now before we go, a piece of advice for Pete LePage. Uh, getting drunk isn't a metaphor for time travel and never eat gross pocket candy. Mm, a uh, bonus tip this week. That's wow. exciting. You turn out to be a rat. <laughs>